This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. Soul's intent teaches that there's a relationship between the human spirit and the ego that's worth kind of understanding, particularly as you do your work and as you grow spiritually. And what, what I teach, of course, is that the human spirit provokes us to move and change and grow while the ego resists this process. Uh, so tonight's show really is about uh, the ego's resistance to the provocation of the human spirit and how we deal with this inner noise that sometimes feels like it's nagging. Think of the ego as being responsible for the voice in our head, and and of course, you know it is at some level because the ego is really what stores the identifications of who we think we are, and each of those identifications tend to have their own individual voice. And what I of course teach in the soul's intent is that we really have four voices in our head, uh, but the one we pay the most attention to is the critic. The other mm-hmm. voices that we have are are the mediator, the counselor, and in and in the extreme, uh, this internal bully that 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 is us. Uh, so so we're going to talk about that tonight a little bit and, and kind of maybe break down that that concept of the noise in our heads in re, in regards mm-hmm. to this relationship. So yeah. So mm-hmm. what when you saw the topic. What did it? What did it? What did it nag in you to bring? <laughs> what did the ego nag nag into your awareness? Which is kind of the way it works. Yeah. Well, lots of things. One one thing I jotted down was, you know, to ask you about the four ego states and if that's part of the noise, which it sounds like it definitely is. Yeah. So the spirit provokes us to to move, change, and grow, and um, because the ego resists. Is that what causes us angst and suffering? Yeah, I think that the uh, – and, and, of course, what I teach on this topic uh, is that we come into the world kind of whole and complete and integrated. And as soon as we take on uh, the human ego around the onset of language, uh, we begin to start feeling um, that we're separate not only from the mother, from the creator – but we're also separate from, from everybody else as well. And as we begin to feel mm-hmm. the difference of ourselves in relationship to the world, we have to start adapting. So that adapting is the, is the beginning of the angst. The original, the original angst, of course, is that we, that we get disconnected from the source before we have language, and the body has a memory of that. So what the listeners need to, need to understand is that when I, when I talk about the human spirit, I'm talking about the feeling self, that aspect of the self that, that reacts to the present moment, which is not an emotion yet. It's just a feeling. The emotion comes when we have a thought and an experience that's paired with that thought, and then it becomes a memory. So emotion is typically tied to memory. And so the nagging that the, um, that the ego does is uh, – uh, is because of this provocation of that original sense of lost self, so to speak, if that makes any sense. And then, and then kind of like a sticky, 
a sticky part of the ego, everything else kind of sticks to that. Our, as our life begins to accumulate, not much on like a snowball, is the ego begins mm-hmm. to have experiences. All the experiences kind of stick to the sticky part, you know, of the of the ego, and and causes it to to defend and to create layers of defenses between uh, the authentic self and the outside world. Really, is how that works. Yeah. So oh, important to get this clear because if we don't, that that noise really um, takes us away from presence, takes us away from peace, and really um, prevents us from reaching our full potential in life, I would imagine. Although it, it's kind of yeah. like it's, it's part of what can motivate us towards our, our full potential if we know how to work with it. Yeah, it's a it's a two edged sword exactly. If you if you understand that the that the noise or the friction of, of the of the human experience is kind of built in, then you don't have to be uh be anxious about it or angry about it. And that's where we tend to get stuck, is that uh we don't we don't understand that there's a relationship happening between the, the feeling self and the human ego. Um and or as as I say, the human spirit and the ego. So Part of what the soul's intent is about is, is you know, kind of becoming aware of the relationship between these internal organs of perception and understanding that they communicate all the time. And the real friction, the real friction is uh, that some of the communication is in opposition to the other, and it's not supposed to be. So, in other words, the human spirit is is uh, is charging the ego to have a reaction to life as it is or the human spirit is causing the ego to have a reenactment of life mm. as it should be and mm. so in so other words it, it it's the charge you know the human spirit is kind of like the prod and the ego has a choice in that moment to react in the present tense or to reenact in the past tense and so you can see the difference that if, the, if we're awake and conscious, then we're going to react to the present moment. If we're asleep and unconscious to our life, then we're going to just reenact. And that's really how patterns of thought and emotion uh, are kind of set into place. And so that's, that's the confusion. When you say it, takes, it can take us away from peace and harmony and all these different kinds of things, it can't do that if you're awake. It can be a, it's more like a speed bump. If you're awake, if you're asleep, then it can absolutely take you away from those things, you see. Um, it's just an interference. It's a minor interference. Yeah, yeah. When you get to, when you get mm-hmm. to understand it, it, it's not nearly as intimidating. Yeah. Well, yeah, because if you aren't awake, then you kind of um, oh, almost get um, – sucked back into that repeating of something and just just playing it over again and if you are awake then it's um you're you're learning from it if you're awake it's a motivator if you're asleep it's nagging exactly this is where we get the confusion in the culture this is why the ego is considered to be the bad guy is that the ego is only uh, bad, if you will, if we use that language, uh, if it isn't awake and taking responsibility for itself. If it is, then the ego is necessary. It's an adaptive function. 
So not making that distinction, this is one of the pieces I think that's not, that's not talked about much in spiritual circles. It's just that the ego awake is the goal here. And the ego is not going to awaken without the provocation of the human spirit. And so being, being aware of, the, of that relationship, is, you know, as, as you can see, is, is half the battle. Once you have a sense of the relationship between the, the spirit that is you and this adaptive you know, part of yourself that you call ego and personality, once you see that relationship, you can begin to see that it isn't, it doesn't have to be in opposition. It can work together and, uh, and do what it's supposed to do, which is cause us to let go of these layers and layers of who we think we are to become who we really are. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the outside world, the external world, uh, adds to that and takes over. So it isn't. Uh, and so you can see that it's, that you, you have this inside um, relationship that's taking place, and you have the outside external world that's also impacting that relationship. And if you don't see how the inside and outside are all kind of working, uh, then you're at the mercy of the of the deja vu that is your life. You know that's what the pattern is. It's just repetition over and over again on the same thing. Yeah, and and this is such a wonderful way to put it that um, the ego and spirit aren't enemies. They're intended to work together for us to achieve presence. And I I was thinking about that today, and it's 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 just so so true because in that kind of um, contemplating and and pondering about the show tonight. I, I kind of was going in and out of this and, and I had, you know, these moments of just being fully present and they're really, um, I don't know if, if I would have called it noise. So I was kind of curious as to how you're defining it as, as inner noise. Well, that's, that's important because the, if you look at what most of us are being taught about our thoughts uh, we're being told that we have 60,000 a day, of which, you know, 16,000 comes into our awareness, and 98% is the same thinking of the day before, and, and we've all heard this at some level. Uh, what we're not talking about is the volume of that uh, language or self-talk, uh, and the volume really is the distinction between between sanity and not. So here's the way you can envision it if you want an image for it. You have this chatter in your head. It is of a dialogue, uh, almost like a meeting that's taking place in your head uh, amongst three or mm-hmm. four voices. And the mm-hmm. chatter, and the chatter is it never stops. It's a, just a whispering chatter that's always there. Uh, as, as stress uh, is brought into your life for whatever reason, the the volume of that chatter increases. Then you, and that's just inside your head. Then you take the chatter mm-hmm. outside in the external world. Uh, let's say you mm-hmm. live in a large family or you work in a big office or, uh, or you're around a lot of people that are picking at you or criticizing you. Now you've got the noise in your head and the noise outside of your head. So it's, it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. you see. So, mm-hmm. so that's what I mean by the noise. And if you look at what we're typically doing with mood and thought problems is, you know, medication, of course, is helping uh, the, you know, the chemical or the brain chemistry piece of that, but it's also quieting the volume of the voice or the voices in your head or the thoughts, so to speak. A lot of people can't uh, 
put their head on the on the pillow at night and rest and get sleep because they can't shut their brain down because they just can't mm-hmm. shut their thoughts off. You see, so mm-hmm. that's that's what I mean. I say noise, yeah. And I would I would think then um, with that noise, depending on the intensity of it, it would be really hard to find your true voice. And really, the true voice, uh, and that's interesting because it's if it's voices uh, of, of counselor, critic, mediator, and bully, or at least the voices that I am talking about, the true voice that you are wanting to access is silence. <laughs> yes, yeah. Is the sound of, is the sound of no sound? That would be the, that would be the sound of God's voice would be silence. Um, and so, really, what you're looking for is the silence. And then in the silence comes through uh, a a true voice. It's outside of the four that I'm that I'm labeling the ego. What you're getting at at, uh, at this point, if you're connecting with uh, this inner peace, this inner uh, place of um, of no no noise, then in that quiet uh, comes through um, the soul's intent or the soul's guidance in some way. And it's more mm-hmm. of a sensation than it, than, than it is a sound. It isn't a sound of a voice or words. It's more of a sensation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it does. It does. And, and, and this is, you know, a little bit of a, a personal experience. But I know in uh, communication a lot of times I will take sometimes a little bit of time before I respond to to somebody's um, question or it takes me a little while to respond in my communication because it's almost like at times I have to go through some layers to get to that silent place to find what's true. And it's so important to me that when I do respond, I'm responding from a place of what's authentic and true rather than any of um, the ego states, the ego voices. That's a good practice in communication anyway is to is to have some sense of where your response is coming from. Uh, and if it's too fast and too quick and it's coming from an impulse or a compulsion, mm-hmm. which is even mm-hmm even worse, then then you then you know you're in your head with your response. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you, you make a point to be in your body as you respond and um which is coming from a more um quieter place. Um but yeah that's that's really how you deal with uh, the indifference that the ego feels because the ego is only uh opposing the provocation because it's not awake. Once it awakens, it's no longer in opposition to the to it. It sees it now as a motivator. It sees the energy of the human spirit as passion instead of mm. instead of angst. Yeah, and so it's it's it, so it, it gets a sense of that relationship and what it's about. Be, before awakening to the human spirit's intent. Uh, the ego just thinks it's the same old, same old. In other words, it's it's. I feel this because I am not worthy, or I'm guilty of something, or, uh, or I'm a bad person, or whatever it is that we're running down to ourselves. And so the ego just it's it's like a ba- uh, having a relationship with a critical, controlling parent. Hmm. Um, so that the importance of understanding the healing of that, 
bringing that into the present uh, is is the role of the human spirit, but then coddling that ego as it is coming into the the present is the soul and the heart of who you are. In other words, you have to have compassion for yourself and hold yourself in a sacred uh, kind of precious place to coddle the, the this childlike ego until it's until it awakens, and that's where the the you know the the parenting or the reparenting of self kind of comes in. Yeah. Yeah, that just that makes so much sense to me. It really does. So you you mentioned that um, the spirit as as passion. So until one experiences and understands it as passion, it would feel like um, I guess it could feel. It'll be anger. Kind of, well, it'll be it, it'll just be emotion. Yeah, yeah. Because in the beginning, in the beginning, the human spirit is formed because it reacts to being separated from the source. So that feeling reaction to the separation is not a good feeling. The ego and the human spirit don't qualify the feeling until a little bit later. If there's any feeling, it's probably sadness or grief or just a sense of loss. Uh, or a sense of of, of being uh, uh, being absent from the source. It's that kind of a sensation. It isn't qualified and given a label until the human spirit gets old enough uh, to experience language and personality and the development of ego. Then the ego labels the angst as anger, anxiety, fear, shame, guilt. It's labeled with an emotion, you see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and so it's in, it's in the labeling, it's in the qualifying it as an emotion that it then becomes uh, a pattern of thought and a pattern of, uh, uh, of responding to the world around it. So, yeah. Hmm. So in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning it's, just, it's just the faded break, as I say. It's just the sensation mm-hmm. of the faded break. Uh, of being absent from the source. We don't qualify or define what that faded break means until we get old enough and acquire language enough to be able to then analyze it and qualify it in some way. And, of course, we analyze it incorrectly. <laughs> That's the whole point. We, we analyze the experience that we're feeling internally as must be something wrong with me or I must have, if there's something uh, if there's a problem here, it must be my fault. I'm, I'm the guilty one. And then you can see how the culture just takes that over. Yeah. It would be almost, yeah. it would be almost like, like coming into, it would be almost like coming into the world and your name is Jeff. And that was your name at birth. And uh, by the time you take on language, you think your name is Bill. <laughs> and you never go back. And you yeah. never go back and find Jeff. You know? <laughs> your original... Your original name, yeah, your original name was Whole Integrated Jeff. And now your name is Disintegrated, Broken, Wounded Bill, you see. And this is, this is what happens with the onset. This is what happens with the onset of language and the onset of identity uh, or, or identifications. And, uh, and, and because the ego adapts, we become Bill. <laughs> we become whatever we mm-hmm, being called. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Uh, if uh, and so that's how we that's how we learn guilt. That's how we learn shame, and we just kind of incorporate it into our our psyche and file it away. 
Because that experience of the faded break is all experience. It's all feeling. There is no language with it. And right. So, there's no way to qualify what's yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no way to qualify what's happening to us. Yeah. Right. No way to qualify it. And so, but, but yet, but yet we feel it. We experience it. We have a sensation of it. And we and we're not real clear what it what this what it is, and then and if we come into the world as loving and supportive, and all of that, and then it's a subtle sensation of separation, a subtle sensation of loss. You see, if we come into a loving, compassionate, and allowing world, but most of us don't come into that world. We come into a world where we have to adapt to the laws of the jungle, so to speak. And so, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, it's, as, as I've said to you many times off the air that, that, you know, we say in this culture all the time that we're either human beings having spiritual experiences or spiritual beings having human experiences. Well, the soul's intent wants people to hear that you are spiritual beings having psychological experiences. Mm-hmm. Or the reverse, yeah. or the reverse of that, which is a psychological being having spiritual experiences. Well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you that you're a spiritual you're a spiritual being having psychological experiences and trying to sidestep what that means and trying to sidestep the significance of that. Because if you're a spiritual being, and there's no if, the better way to say that is how do you know you're a spiritual being? Well, because you are. Uh, you you have a soul that is an incarnated substance of the source itself, and that substance that is you, that essence that is you, comes from the larger source, and um, and that essence is who you really are, what you really are, not the psychology that you have acquired to survive and adapt to your life, and so mm-hmm. and it's important though. I mean, I'm not saying that it was choice. I mean, it's the as I said to you the other day, as we were talking about this, we don't, you know, we come into the world pretty needy and pretty dependent and pretty helpless. So the ego serves a function. It helps us survive all that vulnerability and dependency and all that neediness. But as we mm-hmm. grow and as we evolve and become adults, then we should be letting go of a lot of that, becoming more independent and more autonomous in the world. Something I was thinking when you were ta- when uh, we were talking about the the faded break and it not having um, language that it's pure experience and and pure feeling, and um, how we then you know develop language, become adapted, and all that. And then I was thinking the importance of poets and artists and musicians because I think a big part of what they're doing is they're trying to. Um, describe um, the the um, the soul in a way before the the faded break, or to, or to describe the experience of remembering um, the soul before the the faded break. It's 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 like poets, artists, and musicians are trying to express something that that got lost. Exactly, what they're expressing is the art of being. And uh, and each individual art is an expression of that being, whether it be painting or music or writing or sculpture. But yes, each mm-hmm. of those each of those is a soul is a soulful expression of the art of being. And yes, and that's and that's what I'm trying to say is is that we come into the world, the the essence of this being, this substance, this soul, 
that is that far exceeds the intelligence of the brain is connected to the heart as compass and uh, and is inherently compassionate and um, altruistic. It's only when we kick into survival that we we turn into kind of scary animals. And dependent mm-hmm. upon how we were conditioned early on, you know, we may not even even develop some of that. But that's you know that's that's part of it. I think that the that if you look at look at look at us in comparison to the rest of the species on the planet, we're the only species that needs a set of rules because we don't draw a line in the sand and say when enough is enough, you and ego won't do that. So it needs it needs the structure, it needs all of those original things that we go through. But as I said to you the other day, that you know, by the time we hit thirty five years of age, we should have a lot of that sorted out as we're making the, the shift into midlife and be moving into um, the the adult portion, the autonomous portion, we should be far, you know, we should be independent, certainly independent before 35 years of age. And then in that 35 to 45 period, start looking at, you know, who we were in the beginning before the psychology of who we were took over mm-hmm. or the psychology of what it means to be to be on this planet took over, you see. And that's what mm-hmm. most folks call it life. So you mentioned the, I, I think you, you connected passion to spirit. So until, until we understand that um, experience spirit as passion, what would we be experiencing it as? Well, we, we experience it as desire. The ego is formed because it uh, it is adapting and, and whatever its sense of self is, is typically lacking. So uh, I said that, you know, before the natural state of the human ego is anxiety because it is in a constant state of adaptation. Uh, and so um, the human spirit is has passion because it's longing uh, to simply be, be reconnected to the source. The human ego has desire because it just wants the pain to stop. It wants to be unafraid. It wants to be safe and secure and loved and all those different things. So it's, it's working from a position of lacking where the human spirit is working from a position of longing, and, uh, which is not, not the same animal. One is... One is passion that's tied to wanting to be connected to the source, to just simply be, and the other one is trying to fix something that is broken or fix something that is lacking. I think that right there is so, so important for people to get. And I think you could probably say that to me a thousand times, and each time I'm going to get it kind of in a in a different way. That's that's how important I think just just that one one thing is um, the difference between yeah, longing and desire and and passion. Yeah, because it's something that really gets confused in the culture. And passion, remember, is part of the word compassion, which means to suffer with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's really important. It, it's really important that we understand uh, what our passion is about. Part of it is longing. And part of it is lacking, and it's tied to desire. Well, you know, which one is longing and which one is desire? If, you, if you're if you asleep, uh, then it's mostly desire. 
if you're awake, mm-hmm. then you're beginning, you're beginning to transition from desiring to longing. Uh, I jokingly said to you the other day that if you want to, if you want a sense of uh, of how the ego lets go or should be letting go in midlife, is is that we tend to pare back everything. We spend, uh, you know, the majority of our life, two thirds of our lives. <laughs> acquiring and accumulating and obtaining things only to then when we get there to just give it all away to goodwill, you know, take all of our clothes and our <laughs> shoes and, you know, you know, I mean, we literally just, we literally just give it away. It's like, um, and we just, you know, simplify our lives. And that, that's the irony of that. Um, yeah. When you think, how, when you think about how long and how hard you work to acquire those things, then you get them, you go, well, you know what, Never mind. I don't need these things now. And because a big part of that accumulating was coming from ego desire. So we over-accumulate in our lives based on yeah. ego desire, only to find out it, it, it just was uh, a bunch of stuff that we attached ourselves to that had nothing to do with our authentic, true selves. Point, the joke is on us. <laughs> Well, and I think it's even more than not being a, a, attached to the authentic self. It's uh, not being tethered is to be free, and so mm-hmm. we tether mm-hmm. we tether ourselves to consumable things like cars and houses right. and whatever, and don't realize that in the process that we're doing that, we're also these things become anchors. Just like I said in the in the existential idea of the building a cage of self protection. Well, it's self protection. Until you outgrow it, then it becomes a prison. It's the same mm-hmm. way with all of these things. That, that that when you acquire things in the beginning, they seem like things that you need, but over time they become uh, you become encumbered by them, or become uh, or they become an albatross. And this is the this idea: one person's one person's trash is another person's treasure. I mean, this really is how mm-hmm. where, where all that kind of comes from. That uh, mm-hmm. it's the ego that's making it's the ego that's making that distinction. <laughs> so in the beginning, the ego just kind of hoards everything as it attempts to acquire mm-hmm. and to possess. But then as ego becomes adult and 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 wakes up, it it lets go of all those things. Right, right. It's just so so true. And and I don't know. I think in our in our society, I don't know if if a lot of people ever outgrow that. I, I know at times I could just be, you know, walking in a in a shopping area and I can feel my I can feel that ego, that that ego desire that that sees something and says, Oh, I need that. Well, not really. <laughs> not really. Right. You don't need that. <laughs> you might want it <laughs> but you don't need yeah. that. There's not a whole lot that that we really need. Mm-hmm. I guess the biggest thing that I wanted the folks to get tonight, Irma, about this idea of the nagging ego is that the only reason that it's nagging or that it feels like that it is um, uh, it's nagging us is because it doesn't understand uh, the, the motivation of the human spirit. And the motivation really is quite simply for it to, uh, to change, to grow, to awaken, and to be more present tense with its, with its adaptations. And that's the that's the that's the whole purpose for the angst, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you get an understanding, once you get an understanding that this relationship is, is is symbiotic and that it is really trying to take you, if the soul is your observer 
which is that aspect of the self that can witness your life from a neutral position. And then the human spirit is the motivator that moves you along as the ego is is awakening and the heart is kind of pointing the way uh, as to what, what true north would be for, for you. And so getting the symbiosis, getting the understanding of this communication is really what the show is about tonight, that uh, that the nagging stops or the sensation of the nagging inner voice and the noise quiets once these these organs of perception are working together to get you here to a place of presence and a place of love and truth and freedom, as I say all the time. The problem is with all of this, Irma, is, is that the... The human ego in its adaptation has got a bunch of memories and a bunch of emotions stored away about its its journey up to this point. And so the intensity of the nagging or the intensity of the angst is really contingent on how much that ego has been traumatized. So mm-hmm. as as we as we've developed into human beings with personalities and egos those those are all just defenses and ways to guard and to and to hide ourselves from the outside world. Uh, depending upon how thick those structures are, how pervasive they are, depends upon the level of the volume of the noise that is in one's head. And so the whole premise of this show, of course, is that if you have some kind of inner life, if you have some connection to your internal world and get a sense of ground that is there, uh, that is your soul in particular, uh, and that is your heart uh, as far as direction, then the other the other two things, the human spirit and the, and the adaptability of the ego, is fixable. It's something that can be uh, that can be improved, can it can grow, it can heal. So creating a place of love internally and a place of quiet and a place of acceptance internally uh, is really how this begins. And that's mm-hmm. that's why it, it ends up becoming uh, a psycho-spiritual journey. It's almost like a, a, a psycho-spiritual Rubik's Cube where you're trying to solve the puzzle that is you. And um, mm-hmm. getting a sense of all those four sides and all the, and the equation that makes up this inner world that is you, sorting that out is the solving of the puzzle. So if a, a person yeah. does experience some kind of um, extreme trauma, um, no matter what kind of trauma that is, but the intensity and, and being extreme, it would be, um, I would imagine, um, depending on how extreme, it could be really hard for them to find that ground to connect to um, their heart and their their soul. It's really an opportunity that uh, that, and this is what I've learned in working with severe trauma is is that's the one event that can can crack the shell that is your personality. Well, the cracking of the shell, as scary as that sounds, is a necessary transition. Uh, what you're trying to do without severe trauma is melt the ego just slowly over time. This insidious drawn out long process of melting the ego uh, into the present, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. So the the advantage, the advantage of abrupt trauma uh, or the advantage of life throwing us adversity is, is that it, uh, it chips away at the ego at a much higher level. And although it mm-hmm. feels, 
uh, more painful at the time, it's actually an opportunity to get to the contents of what's behind the, the shell, what's behind the ego's defenses and, and fears. And so that's, that's the, the irony is, is that it's an opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I could see but that in, in adulthood, but if there's extreme trauma in childhood, I think that's, that's more of what I was thinking of that as that child grows into an adult, they kind of have lost their um, their compass because of that um, trauma at a young age. Well, we lose we lose the compass. Or we have a sensation of losing the compass, and then we have one that's installed for us. <laughs> you know, that's the other mm-hmm. part of that. Mm-hmm. All kind, we all kind of have a have an experience of a lost compass uh, because the the collective ego uh, becomes the compass, and um, so yeah. So getting just getting just getting a sense of how all these um, these pieces of what it means to be human, how they all interface and interact and communicate and 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 work uh, in in one direction, which is the direction mm-hmm. of and the direction of allowing and uh, the direction of presence. That that direction that uh, is all towards the place of love and truth and freedom. The dimension of that, and so. You know, people say all the time that they're trying to figure out if their life has meaning or purpose, or they're trying to figure out um, what all this is about. You know, you know, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with myself? And and really, it's it's getting um, the instrument that is a combination of your body and your soul and your spirit all aligned, so you can follow a direction to being. Um, well, yeah. And then in and that being and then is in that, the meaning. Yeah, yeah, and and so and so it's like it's almost like getting here and go. Oh my gosh, I'm a tree, or oh my gosh, I'm a flower. I mean, I spent all this time uh, thinking I was something else, and really I was these. I was this. Uh, that's mm-hmm. really what happened with the uh, uh, with the soul. That as soon as you embrace the soul's intent and move in the direction of what would be your true north, then it's almost like you walk through a a, a a plate glass window that is a mirror and you pop to the other side and go, Oh my gosh, it's not who I, who I was at all. I'm this instead, you know? And, uh, and mm-hmm. so it's that, it's that kind of a shift that happens once you find the direction of your own compass. And um, you talked about the, the noise and um, what do we do with the noise? I'm curious as to how the, the ego state, of critic, um, mediator, counselor, and bully, how do they play out in that noise? And when we do arrive, when we do become present, do we still need those ego states of um, critic, mediator, counselor, and bully? Yeah, I think I think that they 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 are a very important part of who we are as people. But I think what happens is that now that they have learned over time that they can communicate and work together that the volume of the interaction is much, much less. And so, uh, as you could imagine, the bully is, is trying to outpower and out shout everybody and the critic is doing the same and the mediator is trying to, to trying to find a middle ground, you know, with all of it and the counselor just sitting there waiting to, to get a word in. <laughs> so, so I think, I think what happens, 
it's 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 kind of like being in a board meeting where nobody's really kind of let, letting anybody talk, letting anybody have the floor. I think what happens is once you get here and get more present with these inner this inner dialogue, is that that all the voices have a turn, all the voices get to speak. There is a there is a communication taking place rather than a uh, trying for position or trying to fight for the floor. Because that's what's happening when you're asleep. When you're when you're unconscious, so these these inner voices are trying to fight for the the podium, so to speak. And and we already know which one gets to the podium more than anybody else. Uh, it's the critic. <laughs> yeah, 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 the critic. Yeah. So so I think what happens over time is the noise uh, is we get more at peace with the inner dialogue and get a sense of of, of how this this is occurring that. Uh, it's a it's a it's a communication rather than just a uh, conflictual interaction, because mediating within is really about uh, conflict resolved. Well, the conflict between the inner voices is resolved once you become present. Now there is no conflict. Now there's just the voices and the communication. And so the bully now is your defender, not your enemy. The critic now is your biggest fan, you see. Uh, mm-hmm. They shift in, t- in terms of how they communicate. But they're still there in case you need them in self-defense. That's what personality mm-hmm. does. So we're describing personality qualities and traits that will still serve you if you need them. But otherwise, they'll mm-hmm. just lie dormant if, if you don't need them anymore. But the point is they will no longer mm-hmm. be in conflict. Yeah. Gosh, that's that's so clear. And I would imagine until we we get that um, good communication uh, with our ego states, as long as they're kind of um, in conflict inside of us, then I would imagine that's being played out in um, relationships in in our external life. How could it not be? It would have to match up. Exactly, because we can't see it, because we're not really conscious of this inner dialogue. We do have to play it out externally, yes. Mm-hmm. And so we play it out in relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like we go out and elect we go out and elect people to play the characters. We have the critic in our circle of friends. We have the bully in our circle of friends. We have mm-hmm. the mediator, mm-hmm. the counselor. We, we, we literally construct our outside world to match those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So all the more reason to get our um, internal life um, at a place of of peace and um, having our ego states communicating well, and so that the uh, internal and external are are matching up and in a place of harmony and peace and fulfillment. The the real culprit here, uh, although we tend to blame the ego, it's the volatility that we all are walking around with, which is our emotions. And, you know, if there's any work that's really important, uh, particularly as we understand the psycho-spiritual combination of who we are, is what is uh, what are the sources of our emotions and how much and how many of those emotions are uh, attached to old wounds and old adversities and um, and how much are those emotions taking us away from our present-day feelings. And are we consumed by those emotions? And if so, what's the consumption doing to us in regards to our thought processes and our patterns of uh, 
of self, you see. And so the, mm-hmm. the, the, importance, the, the importance of understanding this inner noise is, is that the noise or the volume is amplified by emotions. Uh, it's energy in motion, essentially. That's what emotion is. And, um, mm-hmm. and so what, what makes it, what makes it uh, uh, unhealthy is when that emotion charges a bunch of crazy thoughts about who we think we are. And uh, yeah. so, so getting getting some sense of the ebb and flow of this noise is, uh, and being, and also being aware that we can control the volume based upon how much attention we give the we give the volume switch, so to speak. You know, and this is this is really what psychiatry does with medication. They they manage the volume until the client can manage the volume themselves. They quiet the thoughts. They slow down the the brain chemistry. They are doing that in a in kind of a methodical way, uh, and then you know, paired with psychotherapy and with counseling, the client can begin to get uh, a handle on their own emotions. And I don't know that they're making the distinction between their feelings. However, I don't I don't think that's happening. I think what they're doing instead is just managing their emotions. The spiritual seekers, I think, are leaning towards um, wanting to feel more and emote less. Thank you for being a part of the soul's intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psychospiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. And how in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.